Thompson. Like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top. Subic, great grab. Across the ground. Bam! In comes Donny Wormold. Got it out to a oh. kick. Kick smothered. Check. Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Rioli. Spin. Grips. Goal. Superb from the Eagle. Kicks inside 50. McGovern. McGovern. What a play. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host Honey Badger 35 Coming up on the show we'll figure out what went wrong for the Eagles in round one. We'll recap a strong effort from the Beagles ahead of the waffle season celebrate some of the club's greatest players and preview the round two clash with GWS+. We're going to answer your questions all throughout the show. Uh, It's been a massive week for the Eagles. We've got a fair bit to cover. Joining me tonight to do just that is Miguel Sanchez. Miguel, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. That was a very professional-sounding introduction. Almost too professional. All of the praise and hype in the round one thread really went to my head, so I'm trying to ramp (laughs) it up even further. God help us next week. Uh, also joining us on the show is our is our waffle expert, and I guess he's the best in the business at, at yelling at clouds, and we're really happy to have him back. Keys, welcome on the show. Yeah, good to be back on. Hard, hard act to follow last week, but you guys lost the game for us, so we'll see how we go. Yeah, that's just it. We flagged it as a bit of a danger game. One. Two, we also flagged that the podcast being back was a curse, and lo and behold, here we are. Um, look, as I said, there is a lot to get through, so we might as well just dive in. Brisbane absolutely pulled our pants down at the Gabba in front of the entire AFL. Uh, We got off to a flying start, and then after quarter time, it was all one-way traffic. It wasn't just the size of the loss. It wasn't just the manner of the loss. It wasn't just the fact that it was a shock. It was a combination of it all. Really, really terrible way to start the season, Miguel. Yeah, I suppose, in a way, it's if we need to have a wake-up call, it's probably a good week to have one, round one of the season. It's not too late to, to turn everything around. Um, there's been a few stories this week around teams that have started 0-2 and, and how unlikely you are to uh, to make a grand final from that position. So this it makes this week um, a bit of a must-win. But, yeah, the uh, the manner of it caught everyone by surprise, I think. We'd, we'd flagged it as a danger game going in, but, yeah, I don't think anyone expected us to um, roll over after quarter time and not even put up a fight. That was really disappointing. So if you have a look at the side, how it compares to the grand final side, we were missing, they said on the broadcast it was about 1,200 goals. So we're 1,180 career goals down on our grand final side. Obviously, Lacroix and Kennedy make up a lot of that. So the forward line was fairly young going in. We were 605 games of experience less than we had in the the grand final as well. Keys, I know you didn't engage massively on, on game day, I think you mentioned, but the team selection ahead of ahead of round one, what did you make of that? And and given the conditions, uh, the known conditions, I suppose, in Queensland, did we go in too tall? Uh, I don't... Look, I don't think so. I think maybe with the benefit of hindsight, but I think at the time I was I was happy with the selection. I think as much as Brander and, Al, and Alan and Waterman were all taller types, I think they're all relatively mobile. I, I don't think that that was probably where the game was was going to be won or lost. I, I mean, we could have perhaps thrown in Archie or or someone like that instead. Um, but I think the way the game panned out, I don't know that it would have made a hell of a lot of difference, to be honest. Um, and I think from what I've seen and read since, I don't think the game was necessarily lost in our forward line anyway. It was lost for the midfield where... Um, you know, basically we had a grand final midfield in there with the only exception being Hickey replacing Wyset. So, um, and our backs were the, the same other than Shepard playing for Schofield. So as much as we talk about the forward line, I don't know that that's necessarily where the game was won lost in any case. No, absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of what did us over. And this, I couldn't get my head around it, was... The simple ability to not pick up the football. It was one or two or three or four or five or six grabs before they got at it. And Brisbane just seems to be marking it every time, picking it up fairly cleanly every time. Obviously, the conditions played a massive factor, and that's perhaps why I'm not 
ready to throw all the toys out of the cot as some may be. Uh, Miguel, did you see it, the team selection as being a big factor or, or like Keyes has said, you know, it didn't spend enough time in the forward line for the young forward line to really matter, did it? No, I yeah, I agree with Keyes there. I thought um, we, in hindsight we probably did go in too tall and, and Brander and, um, and Waterman didn't have a huge impact. Possibly could have played some smaller guys uh, in their role, although I don't know who they would have been because we're you know, down to um, to bare bones in in terms of forwards at the moment. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I thought we lost it in the midfield. Just we were smashed in in the numbers in contested possession. Um, I think it was something like minus thirty. Yeah, smashed. I think smashed in hit outs. I didn't see the um, didn't see the stats for that, but um, Steph and Martin seemed to be beating us. Oh no, actually we won the hit outs. There we go. That blew me away, but we will get onto that. Sorry, so you, you yeah. keep going, yeah. Yeah, so um, only inside 50s, 56 to 48, so the ball did get in there a bit, but didn't seem to be. It, it seemed like Brisbane were dominating possession, um, dominating territory for a lot of the time. So, yeah, whether those numbers are a bit inflated by our dominance in the first quarter, I don't know. But, yeah, look, in hindsight, hard to see what we could have done Differently, it's at selection that would have made much of a difference to the scoreline. I, I thought the real issue was just inability to win the ball out of the centre. Um, as you said, inability to win clean ball. Um, it, it was obviously quite slippery and, and dewy there, but yeah, just um, combined, our midfield just seemed to have a really, really terrible game. Dom Sheed, probably the lone exception to that in terms of the midfielders. And again, even he started a lot stronger than... He finished as he was not alone in that in that case. You touched on the inability to win the footy, and I also thought our leaders didn't really do too much to wrestle the game back. Shuey, Yo, uh, Redden was very quiet. Even Hearn, I'm looking at these guys, they're fairly high up in the possessions, but I can't say that I noticed them change the game. McGovern was almost invisible. Again, not his fault, perhaps not the right game for him, but apart from Sheed and maybe Barras, and then there's a few exciting moments from Oscar Allen, particularly early. It was really difficult to get enthused about any individual's game. However, a growing trend on the board has been getting very unenthused about particular individual's game, and that brings us on to Tom Hickey. A very inauspicious start to his West Coast career. Two disposals. He surprisingly led the game with 20 hitouts, but I think the frustrating point for a lot of people was that Tom Barras wound up getting 12 hitouts because he's taking all the hitouts in the back line. McGovern was taking some ruck knots. Chris Marston's come away with a hit out. Keys, what does Tom Hickey bring to the table, given that we know he's not exactly a, an asset around the ground? He's winning the hit outs, sure, but not by much. And if, if he can't go into the back line for Barras to take the hit outs, can we afford to carry two Ruckman? Yeah, without having seen it, I mean, it's probably not not a good result for him. I, I, I just think, I, I was thinking as you guys were talking then, as, as to how much maybe the limited you know, the shortened pre-season Curtis against a side that that had a full-length pre-season in conditions that probably didn't suit us and and would have been more familiar to the Brisbane players and and whether that sort of thing caught up with us. Um, And maybe Hickey just, you know, we had an off night. I think in the JLT games, Hickey looked okay. So... I, I suspect that they'll be looking at this one as a as maybe a one-off. Certainly hoping that's a one-off, and maybe skipping past it and just saying, okay, well, let's let's park that game and then do better next time round. But I think looking around some of the other games, um, two rucks does seem to be a bit of a theme, and the sides that that ran with one tended to seem to struggle a little. Miguel, we'll, we'll uh, get your thoughts on Hickey as well as the young trio. We've touched on a little bit how young the forward line was, but that Alan Brander Waterman, three talls, uh, each of them added something to the game at their own various moments. Alan probably, again, the, the clear standout of the group. Um, so your thoughts on Hickey, number one, and also your thoughts on maybe if your opinion on any of those kids changed individually or, or the ability to carry all three of them changed at all throughout the Brisbane game. Um, I was a bit disappointed that Brander sort of didn't show much after quarter time. Uh, he, he certainly wasn't an orphan there. Um, you know, the, the team collectively fell off a cliff after quarter time, but he um, 
yeah, did some nice things in the first quarter. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we can, can. We certainly can't continue to carry all three when Kennedy comes back. And I'd be probably saying we can't afford to play more than one of them, really. Um, and I think on on current form that'd be Brander. Um, Waterman. I've said this before. I think his uh, his best role going forward would probably be uh, playing on a wing. He's got quite a big tank. Um, he needs to improve his disposal, but. Uh, you know, he, he can be that sort of the big bodied wingman that gets up and down the ground and can float back into defence to, you know, to take an intercepting mark the way that, uh, that Andrew Embley sort of did. I, I think that's probably his best role going forward. He doesn't have the build, I think, to be a, a key forward. And, um, I don't know what's happened to his set shots. They, they were off towards the end of last year when he got dropped. And then he had, I think, one, uh, on the weekend that was, I had no confidence in it going in, and um, he shanked it completely, I think. so. It wasn't the easiest kick in the world, but it was certainly gettable, and you're right, there was no follow-through whatsoever on the kick. No. So, yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be room for him in the forward line uh, going forward. Uh, Hickey, which you asked me to um, talk about first, and I've left him till last, because I didn't notice him much at all during the game. I'm surprised that he did win the hit-outs, because I thought Stefan Martin sort of... Had him shaded in that area and then um, certainly had him shaded around the ground. He was really not noticeable. Yeah, hopefully it was just uh, due to the conditions or um, a bad game. I was wondering whether the fact that we didn't travel at all in the preseason has hurt us going into round one, That whether there's something with the team's travel schedule that's not quite right or, I don't know, I'm sort of searching for answers to, to explain that terrible performance. So... That's maybe a possibility, but yeah, I think this week we'll certainly go in with the two rucks again. Uh, I don't know that we'd want to be risking Oscar Allen uh, in that role, but it's certainly something they can look at if uh, if Hickey doesn't, you know, puts forward the same sort of performance that he did in round one. Uh, Vardy, I thought was reasonable. He was probably one of our better players. I would have given him votes if I'd managed to. Um, actually going into the votes through it. Hmm. He was also in and out with a couple of various different knocks. One of them almost looked like a concussion at one point. So, uh, you know, all good signs coming out of the game, at least from a health perspective. But, yeah, as I, as I said, not a particularly red-hot start from, from either of the rucks. Uh, Vardy probably a touch ahead of Hickey. Look, you mentioned searching for answers. And what about this? I'll throw this out to both of you and, and let me know if you agree. I'm maybe more optimistically than not but I'm willing to just completely rule the line through that game, throw it in the bin, and pretend it was the sort of game like when you see teams go to Tassie and get absolutely dominated by North Melbourne or perhaps by a Hawthorne, although admittedly Hawthorne are a bit of a better side historically. But, for example, last year the Eagles were flying. We know we eventually were the Premiers, had a lot of really good footy on our terms, and we went to Tasmania and we could not even touch the ball. They beat us by 40-plus. It was a horrific game towards the back end of the season. I'm willing to just say, hey, look, here's a team playing in atypical conditions. They're used to it. We're not. Same as you go to Tassie. Let's just go, hey, that's a loss. Chalk it up as a scheduled loss and move on. Although, yes, we would want to come out spitting fire this week. Are you guys on board with that theory, at least maybe just to make us all feel a little bit better? Yeah, okay. My thoughts exactly, uh, Badge. Um, my, the North Melbourne game last year was the one I thought of in that, you know, it's a game that on the ground that we're probably not going to play again on this year. I don't think as good as Brisbane played, I don't think they'll get a home final. So we're not going to be playing up there again this season. Not a typical uh, game conditions-wise or anything like that. I think we can just put a line through it and say, well, yeah, that's... That's a one-off, unique conditions. We're not going to meet them again, and we move on. Uh, it was good enough for Richmond for 24, 23 out of 24 games last year to say, well, you know, wins away, losses away from home don't count because they're not going away. So I think we just do the same. Sounds good. Miguel, agreed? Uh, yeah, to an extent, I, I don't think we can completely. But as fans, I think we can do that. Hopefully, you know that the club is, you know, reviewing it and learning from it and you know, working out what went wrong and 
know what's gone wrong with uh, with the travel schedule if that was an issue, and and know what's gone wrong with the team structures and you know, the inability to to deal with a, a slippery ball because you know we'll have games like that. You now we might not have the same conditions that we had at the Gabba in round one, but you know we'll have some wet weather footy to deal with you know, during the year, so we need to be across that. But yeah, certainly not the end of the world. We had the North game last year. We had some pretty poor performances against um, Essendon and Adelaide last year, and none of those sides played finals. So, yeah, not the end of the world. It's just a shame that it's happened round one when we were all sort of really excited for the season and the premiership defence. It has taken a bit of the air out of it, but, Keys, I'll throw to you on this. Perhaps this is where you were going. What a strange round one of footy it was. Six upsets. You had Richmond, in the end, the scoreboard will tell you otherwise, but they really struggled with Carlton. You had a lot of premiership or top four finalist fancies, off-season hype, and it all imploded for a lot of teams in round one. Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, I think a lot of the uh, the pre-season fancies performed poorly, um, and in, and some of the sides that were predicted to fall actually had good games. I think, you know, Port and... GWS, to a lesser extent, in terms of, I think some of them still had them as finals contenders, but they, I think a few thought they might slip, but certainly weren't expected to be doing too much. You know, they, they had good games. Um, you know, Essendon and Adelaide in particular had shockers. Hawthorne were one that was everyone thought weren't maybe going to be going so well, and, you know, they rolled Adelaide easily in Adelaide. So, um, and the Fremantle result was just <laughs> out of the box completely. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, not that, not necessarily that they won, but by the margin and the manner that they did was, um, I don't reckon even Ross Long would have seen that coming. They scored 100 points before it was three-quarter time. That That's like a normal football team scoring 200 points in a game. That was unbelievable. Anyway, yeah. round one was probably a little bit chaotic. Uh, from our perspective, I think it left it a little bit to be desired as well. But we live, we learn, let's move on. Look, a little bit of housekeeping from round one was that Liam Ryan uh, was reported for striking. He and Darcy Gardner got into a bit of an exchange towards the end of the game. Probably uh, Gardner got what he deserved, in my, in my uh, opinion. And he also was fined for his role in it. But Ryan... All clear to play, no issues with that. Uh, unfortunately, that leads us on to the next topic, which we shouldn't really dwell on for too long, I wouldn't have thought, because the club have done a really good job of handling this, but I, I think it, it does bear repeating. Unfortunately, uh, on a 7 AFL post regarding that striking incident, Liam Ryan was subject to some racial abuse and some really, really uh, unfortunate comments. Now, the club have come out in no uncertain terms and said that this is not good enough. They've done a, a statement, a press release. They've done a press conference and they've also since done a very uh, decisive but also fairly educational video around some racial terms that you shouldn't be using, the history of them, why it's hurtful. Um, guys, I think we're all on the same page with this one and I think the big footy board as well has been very supportive of the decisive manner in which the club have handled this. Basically, flat out, this isn't good enough. Nobody should be doing this, and I'm certain that a lot of the people who engage with this sort of stuff in terms of our podcast or Big Footy, they're not the offenders, but that's not entirely the point. It is still happening. If it happens near you at the footy, if you see it posted on Big Footy or somewhere around you know, the greater internet community, if you overhear something at the match, just make sure you put your foot down and step, you know, step down and say, this is too much, this isn't good enough, uh, and this isn't who we are anymore. And it's not about the fact that these are our players. It's about the fact that, you know, these are just people that we live with trying to simply play the great game of AFL football and they're subject to abuse for no good reason whatsoever. So uh, let's just crack down on that. I know, Miguel, you had a good idea regarding the Indigenous jersey this week. Yeah, it can't just be my idea. I think it's... it's I'm sure I'm not the only one to have thought of it, but, yeah, I just thought um, we're the Indigenous uh, Guernsey this week, which is a shame because I was looking forward to wearing my Premiership Guernsey, but um, never mind, that can wait till the following week. Uh yeah, just to um, to show support for for Liam Ryan and and everyone else, just to um, just to say that you know, it's it's not good enough and um, none of that's warranted. It's 2019 for Christ's sake. Um, yeah. I think uh, don't want to get into it too much, but I think people are 
are, that are still making those sort of comments now are seriously just doing it for attention. They are, but I will say, Richmond came out and banned a guy for two years, stopped his membership. So if they're the sort of people doing it for attention, I know we probably already could have figured this out, but they're not the sharpest, you know, tools in the in the bloody shed because they're just gonna. It's just gonna eventually come back on themselves, as we've seen this week. Yeah, and and so it should. Anyway, look, that is probably enough from us on that. Needless to say, people don't need to hear our opinion on it. But well done to the club for how they've handled it. I think. Uh, well done to Richmond and indeed the broader AFL community for getting on board. But enough's enough with this crap. And, and if you do hear something, make sure you speak out against it. Look, let's put a line under that and we'll look forward. Uh, we've had a few posts on the board saying sack everybody and bring in all the kids. Well, Keys, that brings, uh, that brings your time to shine. You went down and saw how the Beagles got on in their practice match. Take it away from here. Give us a, one of your world-famous waffle reports. Yeah, I, I sat with Miguel, so he um, he can uh, he can correct me on any errors I make. I, I've done a, a full report. I posted it not long ago on the waffle report, so I won't I'll direct people to that rather than prattle on here for too long. Um, other than so the Beagles won by 14 points uh, in, a, in an okay one. It was a pretty sloppy game, to be honest. There was a bit of a breeze coming out of the southwest, which might have influenced the skills a little bit. But it was a game that I think, for the most part, you sort of felt that uh, they were going to win. And I don't think it needs to be pointed out. East Perth are a stride that they're rebuilding after coming off the host club arrangement and ended last year. Uh, and I'd say that they would be the early fancies for the wooden spoon in the in the waffle this year. So I think you need to view the result in that frame, that we didn't beat a great side. I think we had 15 of our listed players playing, off the top of my head. Um, but most of them had little or no AFL experience. I think the most experienced player we had out there was probably Arshi and and Nelson. Apart from that, McInnes and one or two others. Uh, Murdermer had played AFL um, the rest of sort of babies. So we had a fairly young side ourselves. Um, it does, to me, highlight the fact that uh, if we do have some injuries and we've got to delve deeper in the list of top-up players, that we might be on the end of some hidings through the year. Um, so that, without out of the way, I don't know that any particular player really did anything to jump up substantially to put themselves in the selection frame. Probably Matthew Allen was had 28 disposals on a goal. I think he would be one if, if the coaching staff were particularly pissed off with, say, Waterman, for example. Um, he could maybe come in and play that type role as a, a guy that spends minutes in the midfield and, and pushes forward. But some of the other, the, the Watson had a disappointing game. Ashi was, I thought, quiet in the first half, but did come into the game in the second half a little bit. Fraser McInnes was probably the best man on the ground. Kicked five goals, was a good target up forward, played, played the full game up forward. Um, he actually looked good. And I think I said in the report, you know, if, if it was a Jared Brander or, or or someone like that, that had a game like that, we'd all be raving about how great it was. Um, but because it's McInnes, you probably go, yeah, it's McInnes, and <laughs> you move on. Just while we're on McInnes, uh, I'll give this one out to both of you as well. Miguel, maybe we'll start with you. He was obviously named the captain of the Beagles this week. Uh, he's only played 14 AFL games. He's into his eighth season on the Eagles list. It is a credit to him. He's obviously a hard worker, and he seems to be a very popular leader for the Beagles, a popular selection. Do you think he's going to play AFL footy again? It's hard to see it. Um, he didn't do, I think, any rucking. Maybe the odd hit out here and there. Um, but he played basically as a key forward. Uh, and I think um, I think it's unlikely we'll see him in that role at AFL. I think uh, uh, we've talked already about Brander and Allen and Waterman and, and the sort of the log jam there. So I... Um, I don't think he'll play in that role, and um, uh, his his 
real chance of getting back in the AFL team, I think, as a second ruck, uh, which he doesn't you know. He, he's not doing it. Um, waffle level anymore. Oscar Allen's uh, rucking a bit, so he's probably gone ahead of him in that spot. Um, Brooksby looked quite good, I thought. Um, he could you know, potentially come in and, and do a role in the AFL side. Uh, Nat Nui's coming back, so yeah, it's, uh, he's a long way down the queue in sort of any position that he's likely to play. So yeah, hard to see him adding adding to his 14 games. Uh, he, he's obviously quite a popular team man. Uh, next year, if he's not on the AFL list, he will hopefully stay around and, and remain as our um, as our waffle captain. But yeah, difficult to see him playing AFL again. Keys, do you agree with that? Think there's any role with him in the in the AFL side? Yeah, I think it's he, he's he's great glass in case of emergency. I mean, if our if our injury toll rises significantly, maybe, but that would be I think that that would be the only instance he, he's he's playing. Uh, you mentioned Matt Allen. You mentioned Archie. For the people who didn't get a chance to go down and see the game, what was the was there a standout moment perhaps that you saw, or was there anything in particular that made you think, yeah, this guy is ready to come into the side? Uh, nothing in terms of anyone particularly ready to come into the side. Um, you know, I think Matthew Allen as a you know he's still learning as a midfield. He played the whole game pretty much midfield. Well, downstairs centre square start um, so I think he just you know he showed that there's a bit of, there's a bit there to work on going forward and that later on in the season as it progresses he, he might be a chance to come in um, the game highlight was Bailey Williams taking a big hanger in the last quarter that the club have actually pulled their finger out and put a video up on Twitter for anyone that, and I think it's been posted on the um, in the this waffle thread on our board. So anyone that hasn't seen it, get on there and have a look at that because it was probably the, the the single biggest highlight in the game. So the Beagles have another game coming up this weekend. Uh, Xavier O'Neill, Jared Cameron both been cleared to play, so it'll be the first chance for a lot of us to have a look at Xavier O'Neill, Jared Cameron obviously bobbed up in the JLT a little bit. Can we expect you guys to uh, head on down to East Frio Oval and, and check that one out? Uh, unfortunately, it's on the same day as the, as the Giants match, so I don't think I'll be getting down there for that one because I'm going to the Giants game. Um, and I imagine Miguel's in the same boat. Yeah, I'd sort of... I'd got an idea earlier that I thought it was going to be played as a curtain raiser, um, which would have been good. Yeah, obviously that's not happening, happening. So yeah, it's a bit difficult to get from East Frio to Burswood in that amount of time. Well, we'll look forward to a quality waffle report next week, nonetheless, <laughs> going off limited club footage and, and, uh, articles, I guess. Yeah. Next week we'll just read Gary Stocks's waffle report. Brilliant. Look, that leads us very well in to the coming weekend. And indeed, the, there's sort of two things on this weekend. And let's start with perhaps the more concrete and predictable one. Let's start with the celebration that is we have several milestones. We're unveiling a premiership flag. We've got legends coming back to do a lap of honour or a curtain-raising game. This should be a fun weekend of West Coast Eagles football, should it not, Miguel? Uh, yeah, right up until the time the ball's bounced. Yeah, sure. We typically haven't gone too well in the past in milestone games, so it's Bit of a worry that so many of them are happening uh, all in the one week. What, we've got what Hearn's two fiftieth, uh, Marston's two hundredth, and Kennedy's two hundredth as well. Is it? Yep, for the club. Two hundredth for the club. For the club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So look, we've got Hearn at two fifty. He's the eighth player ever to, to reach that milestone for the club. All Australian Premiership captain. Uh, if he finishes his contract, interestingly, he will be not only the game's record holder as the captain, but also the game's record holder full stop, which I suppose it, it shouldn't surprise you, and yet it, it kind of does. He's always been the under-the-radar type. Yeah, but assuming he plays sort of the vast majority of games over the next two seasons, um, is what he's about 40 behind. So, um, yeah, he'd have to have you know everything go right over those two years. But, yeah, that'd be um, a big honour for him. Yeah, just this week though. Um, obviously, bigger honour for him to get the 250 and uh, uh, premiership captain and all that. And let's hope we put in a much better showing. 
Keys, the 2005 AFL draft saw us wind up with Shannon Hearn, Matt Prittis, and also eventually Josh Kennedy. Is that going to be the best draft in Eagles history? Will that ever be topped? I I think there's a couple of others. I think 2010's probably a, got to count as a highlight with Gaff, Darling, and McGovern um, in Lossett in that one as well. So, But, yeah, 2005's done quite well for us. So I think it's... I think it's kind of neat that that Maston and Kennedy played their 200th game for the club in the same game, given that uh, you know they're both central planks of the of the judge trade. So I'll throw this one out to you both now. Um, Keys, we'll start with you. It's, it's an A or B question, I suppose. Given that they've both this weekend played 200 games for the Eagles, who do you think has a better win loss record with the club? Uh, Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah. Miguel. Uh, Kennedy's the obvious answer, so I think the fact that you've asked the question suggests that it's uh, Marston. What if I told you it was a... T- no, it's not a tie. It is Marston by one. <laughs> 111 wins, one draw, 87 losses. Kennedy, one win less than that. He's on 110, 1 and 88. So you're right, it's, it's fairly interesting, and I think this brings us to Rookie Pick's question this week. Uh, we'll start with Marston because I think it's the one that needs unpacking the most. What is the legacy of, of these three guys? Uh, Miguel, we'll start with you with, with Marston. 200-game premiership player. Obviously, he was taken third overall, and perhaps he's not quite lived up to that, and yet we've got 200 games and a flag from him. So where does Chris Marston sit when all is said and done? Yeah, um, I have this argument on the board all the time. You go back and look at that um, 2007 draft, and of the guys that we were looking to take at, at that pick, um, he's had by far the better career. Um, you know, Reese Palmer was ahead of him for a while, but then you know, dropped off a cliff, and you know, hope hopefully he gets well soon, um, especially to these Swan Districts star player now. Um, and Carl Morton came and went. David Myers has had a pretty quiet career at, at Essendon. They were the, sort of all the guys that were around the mark at that pick. Um, obviously, you know, Dangerfield and Rioli went on and had much bigger careers, and, and Brad Ebert as well probably now, but... Um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe you'd look at those. But, uh, yeah, look, 200 games is a massive achievement. Premiership player is a massive achievement. Um, he's, uh, I, I think he's rated, I think Keyes actually said this on Twitter today, he's rated, I think, internally a lot higher than he's rated by the majority of um, of Eagle supporters. Uh, I know that they, they do rate his ability to get up and down the ground and, and provide the, you know, the extra outlet when... Uh, the defence is under pressure. That's something that he didn't do so well on the weekend, so hopefully he finds that ability again. But, yeah, uh, gotten a lot out of himself. Uh, he'll always be a premiership player for us, and uh, yeah, he's to be congratulated on that. Keys, do you agree? Yeah, I think he suffers from being the number three pick in a in what was, in hindsight, a relatively weak draft. You know, he, And the fact that he was coming in to replace... One of the one of, if not the best player we've ever had at the club. So, um, yeah, he, he he's had a solid career, not a spectacular career. Um, you know, he's obviously well liked at the club. Supporters maybe not so much. He's inherited the the number seven scapegoat from Chad Fletcher, who took it off Fraser Gehrig. But you know, you don't. Get 200 AFL games by accident without being a um, without being a, a reasonable player. So good on him, and uh, I hope he has a good game on Saturday night. Yeah, and I'll say this just on you don't reach 200 by accident. The other thing that's worth remembering, I've said this a few times on the board, we've had two distinct coaching styles. We've had two distinct game styles at least. Uh, certainly, we've had two separate premiership coaches both come in over the better span of a decade, and put Chris Marston's name in the team more often than not. He's won a wooden spoon with us. He's won a premiership with us. We've made finals. We've missed finals. We've had Wusha. We've had Simo. Chris Marston has lasted throughout all of that. And I know there's people that don't like him or perhaps use him as a bit of a scapegoat. But far out, you, you have to take your hat off and say, well done. You've survived two very distinct game styles, two very distinct regimes. You've survived for a very long time in footy, a lot longer than most. So hats off to Chris Marston. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a difficult one to maybe judge historically, but but credit to him. 
Look, the other two are probably a little bit easier. Let's go to with Kennedy first. Miguel, I'll start with you. He's obviously the goals record holder. He will forever be linked with the Judd trade. In fact, I think there's an article come out this week with uh, the Carlton or ex-Carlton staff saying that we shouldn't have traded him. We should have traded the number one pick instead of getting rid of Kennedy. But how how important has Josh Kennedy been to the West Coast Eagles over the years? Yeah, I did read that article and wonder how um, how Matty Cruiser felt about it. Um, seems to be a bit of a, a slam on him. Uh, yeah, look, Kennedy, I don't think you can say enough about the impact he's had for us. Um, you know, he passed Sue Mitch's goal-kicking record uh, in an era when it was it, it's become a lot harder for key forwards. You don't see the sort of the massive um, goal tallies that uh, that were around in Sumich's year with you know, you know, the Dunstalls and the Lockets and so on. Um, he's been you know, remarkably consistent. Uh, one thing that I think is overlooked in a lot of the media is you know, his um, his ability for a guy that's six foot five or six foot six and probably a hundred kilos um, when he doesn't have the ball to to chase and tackle and and his agility. And you know, on top of that, he's our vice captain. He's a really popular team team man. No, he's been the focal point of our um, of our forward line for what, eight or nine years now. You know, he's taken the number one defender probably just about every game in that nine years. Uh, he gets crunched all the time. He doesn't seem to get the free kicks that he deserves a lot of the time, or maybe that's my bias sh- um, coming through. But, yeah, look, um, no, we were f- fairly muted, I think, in our praise of Marston in, in comparison. Um Kennedy, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can argue that he'll go down as one of our greats, one of our all-time greats. Keys, a quick word on Kennedy and also moving along to, to Shannon Hearn. Uh, Miguel just mentioned all-time greats. Is, is he a chance to go down as one of the top three, four, five handful of Eagles ever? I think so. As a forward, it's always a difficult thing. I think what goes unnoticed is the value of him as a leader at the club. I mean, he came to the club at a very, very difficult time. You know, you had a pretty big baptism of fire. You see, when I go to training, you can see the influence he has on the group, particularly the forwards. And I think it shouldn't be underestimated how much his absence hurt us against Brisbane because he is a he is a very definite forward line leader. He, he runs that forward line. Um, and I think the fact that he's, he's settled, he's a good family guy, um, you know, we talk, there was a lot of talk about culture at the club over the off-season in the flow of the Premiership, and he's a really big part of that. I think he's a very strong influence around the club. Um, he's a bit of a lad, but he, he's got a, a serious side to him, and when it's time to train, it's he does it. And he he's had an interrupted pre-season, but every time you see him, he's running the track, he's, he's working his arse off, so... He's a really big part of, of our success last year. A credit to him for, be able, uh, for being able to, to get up off of limited practice or perhaps being a little bit banged up. We haven't seen him come through the waffle, uh, certainly not recently. I don't even know if ever. Uh, you know, he gets hurt. Maybe he picks up a few knocks here or there, but he bounces straight back. And more often than not, he's right back at his best. Um, Keys, we'll stay with you. Shannon Hearn, where does he sit historically? Let's assume he plays out his contract. He may get the game's record. He may not. But if he plays out his contract at a reasonable level, where does he sit to you as one of the all-time Eagles? Yeah, I, I think I think I read a comment from him. You know, the other guys are Ferrari, and he's a bit of a tractor. Um, that was his assessment, and I think it's pretty well spot on. He's he's he is very much an unheralded guy. He's no fuss. Um, I think in the early days of his captaincy, I think we all got maybe. Blindsided by the fact that he's a bit of a he's a fairly dour sort of character, um, understated. Um, but I think we saw through through last year his value as a leader, and now he's he's grown into the role. And I think probably by the end of his career, I think he'll he'll be regarded probably just behind Worsfold as as the best captain we've had. Miguel, a quick word on on Shannon Hearn. Yeah, pretty similar. I think it would sort of be remembered. I think in the the same sort of breath as uh, as Darren Glass, you know, this really really dour, dependable 
um, defender who was also a, a great leader. And he was, um, in hindsight, I think the perfect person to take over from Glass as captain because he's just sort of, he's brought that same sort of, you know, no nonsense personality and just, you know, head down, bum up and get the job done sort of, um, sort of approach to it. Obviously on field, he's a little bit more attacking than, than Glass was. A um, bit of a different player, but yeah, quite similar in, um, in that respect, I think. I just looked up. Josh Kennedy's last waffle game was in 2012. I think he was coming back from. He missed most of the season with a ankle injury or something, was it? Yeah. Played one game for East Freo in 2012, so he's never he never played for East Perth. I think that was the year. I can just remember every week it seemed like they trotted out him and Nikoski to do a where are they sort of press conference update with their injuries. I think Nikoski got injured in the final JLT grand yeah. final or whatever. Um, yeah, and then never played AFL again. So obviously, it worked out a bit better for JK. Memories, hey? Well, we've looked back. Let's look forward. Congratulations to those three guys. As I said, there's a lot of festivities happening this weekend. I believe Mark Lacroix is doing a farewell lap. We've got the uh, Legends, the Owls, playing the, the Curtain Razor, I also think. So it should be, as I say, a fun celebration of West Coast Eagles football. That is until the football starts. And that brings us on to the game with the Greater Western Sydney Giants, who, it must be said, and Keys mentioned it earlier, they shocked a few people, they turned a few heads. Uh, They really, really took it up to Essendon on the weekend. And this is looming as quite an important game in our season, especially given the start. Keys, what what are you looking for uh, for the side to bounce back against GWS? I think it's just the effort um, that, that appeared to be lacking from last week. I think it's it's funny you sort of look at. I mean, we lost Larry Lund last year, but I walked away from that game feeling quite upbeat because, mm. much as we lost to Sydney, I thought we put in a pretty good showing. Um, I guess my expectations for that game were lower than what they were for the Brisbane game, um, which perhaps was part of it. But I, I think. Um, I think as a fan, we, you, you want to see some pride in the players and uh, a, t- a time for the loss. Um, and I don't think it can be understated how important the win is. Um, it's only round two, but I don't think we really want to be going uh, across the MCG to play Collingwood at zero and two, especially given that they may be at the same uh, win-loss record if they lose to Richmond tomorrow night. Miguel, we had 06 Premiers ask us uh, just on what Keyes was saying there, basically. Look, if we do lose to GWS, we've got the grand final replay coming up. Is it is it time to panic if we happen to fall to 0-2? I think it depends on the manner in which we lose, if, if we do lose. Um, now, if we you know, go hammer and tongs at GWS and we fall by a kick, uh, you know, and bounce the ball doesn't go our way, then no, it wouldn't be panic stations. It would just be... You know, an unfortunate loss and a, a not ideal position to be in, but something that we could certainly bounce back from if we turn in another performance like we did against Brisbane uh, and, you know, get, get smashed in the contested ball and uh, have long periods of the game where we don't score, then, yeah, it certainly would be um, panic stations, I think, and, and time to look at a you know, number of guys team and, and the structures and uh, whether we've, we've got what it takes to go back to back, whether we've, you know, got the right structures in place and uh, the right game plan for the new rules that are coming this year. So, yeah, fair bit riding on this game, but I don't... Uh, obviously, really important game to win. I don't think a loss will necessarily be the end of the road for us, but depending on the way in which it happens, it could be. Now, you guys both got out to the Beagles this weekend and you've seen you've seen the reserves coming through. You've also had a chance to mull over some thoughts in terms of ins and outs. Keys... Can we expect any changes? Kennedy's obviously ready to go. Uh, Cripps is listed as a test, but I believe he'll be held off until the Collingwood game. Look, unfortunately, Rioli looks like he's going to be out for a little while, and we're still waiting to hear the extent of that. Given we can probably put Kennedy's name in, in permanent marker, what are the changes that you're expecting to see? Yeah, I, I would think Kennedy comes in for, for a brander. It probably balances up a little bit better. And then... It's whether well, having seen the Brisbane game, uh, it's whether or not Waterman or perhaps Petricelli or Venables. I mean, those three guys, certainly from a stats point of view, didn't have very much impact on the game. 
whether the coaches back them in for another one or they look to um, Archie or Alan as possible guys to, to give a run to, just to, to change it up. I think, as I said in the report, I don't know that Archie necessarily had a game that warrants promotion, to be honest. Uh, Matty Allen, maybe, um, given that he was listed as an emergency for the game, they might look at just bringing him in to, to change things up, given he's got a little bit more midfield experience and we lacked a little bit in that area against Brisbane. So, other than that, I think the um, the coaches will they'll, they'll back the guy. They, they tend to back the players in, and I think they'll they'll do it again this week. I don't think I think there'll be the one change. I think that will be it. The interesting thing with Matt Allen playing through the middle, obviously he was drafted to play a key post, so he doesn't really do a lot to address the height, but or the perceived height issues, I suppose, in the side. Uh, Miguel, is there anybody coming through that you think needs to be an, an inclusion, other than Kennedy, of course? Uh, there's no one that really stood out from the, the Beagles game. One guy that I'd throw in as possibly a, a bit of a smoky and I wouldn't mind seeing him get a game is, um, is Josh Smith who obviously didn't play that game because he uh, he travelled to Brisbane as the 23rd man, so he's fairly close to selection. Um, could see him coming in and playing a role similar to Marston in that you know, he gets up and down the ground, he'll provide a bit of an outlet. Um, you know, that, that was something that um, seemed to be missing a bit over, uh, over in Brisbane, so could possibly see him coming in for Waterman. Obviously, the difficulty with that is, you know, possibly throws out um, our structure's a bit out of whack. Uh, we, we have flights uh, over last year and this year uh, going in with sort of the, I think, what is it, seven, eight, seven? Uh, seven set forwards, seven set defenders, and, and eight midfielders slash ruckmen. So uh, bringing in Smith, who's a midfielder, maybe takes away from that, and maybe you're throwing uh, someone out of position uh, Typically, if we've tried to put someone like Sheed or Hutchings uh, into the forward line, uh, just rotating through the midfield, they haven't liked to do that. But uh, on the other hand, not much we did on, in round one seemed to work. So, yeah, look, Smith for Waterman's possibly the other change I could see. Um, Kennedy for Brander seems to be a no-brainer. Um, no one else really put their hand up, I thought. Uh, there, there were some promising showings by some young guys in the waffle, but no one really put their hand up for immediate inclusion. Um, I think they'll persist with the Vardy-Hickey combination at least for another week, uh, even though there might be a, a temptation to maybe try and go a bit smaller and let Oscar Allen ruck a bit. So, yeah, probably just that one change. And uh, I'd, I'd like to see Smith come in. Having said all of what I said about Smith, I don't think it'll actually happen. I think it'll just be the one change. So I said in, perhaps you can call it post-game frustration, but I did have Hickey out. Uh, but you're right, the more I think about it, the, the two rucks system is what held us in, in good stead throughout last year. It's becoming a little bit more common, and as well with the 6-6-6, you really want to make sure you're not pinch-hitting in the ruck, you're really having a designated ruckman. So we'll leave Hickey in for now. Um, I will contest for Kennedy for Brander. I'm unashamedly biased when it comes to Jared Brander, but I think he showed quite a bit last week around the ground Interesting to note that, yeah, he only had eight touches, as did Waterman, but he took seven marks. And in our game style, especially with the game playing out how it did at the weekend, I think his ability to move around the ground and be involved as a link-up player down the field could prove pretty crucial. Uh, Kane asked on the board, what is the role for Waterman or Brander or Allen now that there's that little contest? And we've discussed it a few times. I think it will just depend on if any of them can really grab the opportunity by the horns. At the moment, if it were me, I'd just be making the one change. Kennedy out. Oh, sorry, Kennedy in, Waterman out. And I'd be seeing if Jared Brander can get a little bit of form under his belt at home. He's had two games and they've both been in pretty tough conditions away at Sydney, away at Brisbane. So uh, I'm backing him in to, to stay in the side and indeed have a good showing on hopefully what is a dry deck. Keys, uh, a prediction for the game in terms of a margin and who are you looking to, to star for the West Coast Eagles? Uh, I'm going to be a little bit negative Nancy on this. I, I think GWS are going to roll us. I think maybe 12 points. Um, they were really impressive against Essendon. Uh, I don't know. And they had, I think, Ward and Kelly and one other out. 
Um, I can't remember who that was, but it was one of their better players. I'm not sure if any of those are due to come back in, but they were really impressive. And I, I, I don't know. I hope, but I'm not sure that we can uh, get ourselves back up far enough to, to roll them. Um, in terms of a star player for us, um, I think Joe's due for a big game. So I'm going to go Joe. Miguel, your thoughts ahead of round two? Yeah, I'm similarly pessimistic. I mean, I think last year when GWS came over, we saw they were in good form and we thought, you know, they'd, they'd burst our bubble and we ended up beating them quite comfortably. So we do seem to play well against them. Um, they did look really good on the weekend. I think Josh Kelly is back this week. Ward, I, I'm not so sure on, but Kelly, I think, is back. You know, so adding Josh Kelly into a side that's currently sitting top of the ladder is not going to bode too well for us. Um, so, yeah, I predict us to lose, hopefully, the sort of loss that I was uh, talking about earlier and, you know, a, a close, hard-fought loss, so I'll say eight points. Um, players to star for us. I did pick Sheed last week, so I at least got something right. Uh, I will go for milestone man Shannon Hearn this week. Um, he wasn't that great on the weekend. I think he'll have a um, a much better game marshalling the defence and um, uh, hopefully um, uh, with Barras and McGovern standing up, he can uh, um, get a bit of the focus off him and yeah, free himself, free him up to um, be more of that quarterback coming out of defence. And uh, just while I think about it, yeah, I agree with what you were saying earlier. If um, Waterman comes out for Kennedy and Brando stays and plays that sort of higher up the ground role, I wouldn't be unhappy with that at all. Give him another chance. He has sort of been yeah, in and out of the. You know, he hasn't. He's been. It was quite quick to get dropped after the Sydney game last year, and um, yeah, it'd be nice to see him get a bit of an extended run in the side now. Yeah, especially at home, I think. Um, now you were spot on with your assessment of GWS. Kelly is a test, but you'd suggest he'll come in. Callan Ward's looking very unlikely to play. He's two to three weeks on their injury report, so we won't be seeing him. Uh, my prediction, I'm going to say the Eagles are going to win. They're going to win by 21 points. And Tom Barras is going to continue his, what was a fairly good game for him, it must be said, last week. Uh, Cameron kicked four goals for the Giants last week. And I'm not going to put a number on how many goals he'll kick, but Barras has shown that he really does like that one-on-one duel. And with the 6-6-6, GWS is strong midfield. Perhaps he'll have to uh, deal with quite a lot of one-on-one stuff early after the bounce. Let's see if he can stand up. I'll go with Tom Barras and an Eagles win. Uh, now, as you've both said, we might have a loss, which would leave us at 0-2. Not a lot of sides make the finals, or indeed, certainly not the grand final from 0-2. Uh, Keys, Miguel and I had a chat about it before, but do you think it's time to panic if we fall to 0-2? Uh, I, I agree with what Miguel said. You know, I think it's a matter of the loss. Um, if we do lose, it's not. If we have a blowout loss, then yes, Panic. Uh, if we have a narrow loss, where we play well but but go down, uh, it's a bad position. But I don't think it's one that's uh, irrecoverable. But I think this this is going to be even more so than last year. It's going to be a particularly even season. So I think it might be one of those years where fifteen or maybe even fourteen wins is enough for a top four um, because there's not a lot between. There's probably a dozen sides that I don't think are separated by all that much and injuries are going to play a factor. So, yeah, 0-2 is not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. And I think we only have to look back to last year and Collingwood lost their first two games and we're, you know, two minutes away from being premiers. So it's not the end of the world. That puts a bow on the GWS game coming up. Fingers crossed we can get off the mark with a strong win against a very strong opponent. That does bring us now, though, to the question segment, and we've been answering a few questions throughout. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions this week. A few that we're left with that we've not answered. Number one, from Hudson2006. He'd like to know the specific dimension and the surface area of the West Coast Eagles Football Club so he can know just how many times we can fold it. Now, I will say... There's a common misconception that you can only fold a piece of paper seven times. 
Uh, now, the Mythbusters have proven that you can fold it at least eight times without assistance and also up to 11 times. They folded a warehouse-sized piece of paper 11 times with industrial equipment. So, Miguel, is it time to fold the club? And indeed, if it is, how many times should we fold the club? Uh, I think um, I've been on Big Footy since about 2006. I think we've actually folded the club probably 12 or 13 times uh, since then. So um, one more couldn't hurt, I suppose. We've already gone past the, the Mythbusters record. Get us on Discovery Channel. Get us on the contract. Keys, should we have folded the club last week? Is it even worth turning up? I Yeah, well, I think we've, I mean, we've shown that as supporters we're rather fickle. I think people were folding the club at the 10-minute mark of the grand final last year. So um, that turned out. I think the more times we fold the club, the better, because we always seem to bounce back. The mighty origami eagles. Uh, we've got, perhaps you could consider it a more serious question from Squashface. Keys, we'll start with you. Uh, what do you think the way forward is with Venables? He's, he's continued to have, in terms of disposal, quite uh, quite a quiet output, quite a low output. Do you think it's time to throw him into the waffle and give him an extended spell trying to rack up some touches, or should we persist with him in the side and indeed in the current role? Uh, I'm an unabashed Venables fan. Uh, I, I understand where that question comes from uh, in terms of you know, he's not really getting the possessions. But I think if you can win a premiership and throw games in developing a guy who I think is going to be a very good player in time, you keep him in there. I think he's worth persevering with simply because I think he's an outstanding talent. And everything I've seen from him, watching him playing practice games at Waffle three years ago on the way through, the more he gets, he believes he's, he belongs at a level, the better he becomes. And I think once he's actually, he's a bit of a strange character. I think he's actually a fair bit of an introvert. And I think that holds him back a little bit in terms of uh, maybe going when he perhaps doesn't need to, or, you know, maybe letting someone else do it, not because he's uh, afraid to, but because he, he, wants to see more senior, doesn't want to get in the way of more senior players. I think once he gets that mindset that he can go whenever he feels like it, we're going to get a very good player on the hand. Um, You see him do some things when he does decide to go that are really quite special. He just needs up his production. He's going to learn. He's not going to learn at waffle level. He needs to learn at AFL level. So I'd I'd, I'd be keeping the investment going with him at AFL level for the time being. Miguel, your thoughts on on leaving Venables in the side? Yeah, I'd leave him in. I think the role he's playing um, at the moment in the side and now the role he played in the grand final side, I don't think you can look solely at his possession numbers. Um, The defensive pressure that he provides in that forward 50 is outstanding. Uh, We didn't see a lot of it on the weekend because the ball didn't seem to go in there much, um, despite what the numbers might say. Uh, But, yeah, I think um, particularly given that Cripps and Rioli are out this week, uh, and uh, Rioli's out for God knows how long, and, and Lacroix's gone. Uh, I think there's definitely a role for him uh, for the foreseeable future in that uh, as a, a small pressure forward who can uh, provide the odd stint in the midfield. And, um, yeah, I think he, he's still only, what, is he even 20 yet? Yeah, just keep pumping games into him and uh, eventually we'll have a player. If we don't already. I will say with Venables, the disposal count as well, it's not the be-all and end-all. Um, you've both touched on it that he's clearly quite clever and, and, and you know he sees the game quite well. I think he would be in our top three or four, certainly in our top handful of, of natural footballers who tap the ball on well, who you know might, might lay a very important block and, and just sort of get a toe poke in there that moves the ball on. It, it's up there with Jeddah and Darling, these sorts of guys that can tap and punch and move the ball on and just make sure that the ball's always going in the right direction. Um, so I agree. I'm with both of you. Let's let's persist with Dan Venables. <laughs> Apart from that, I think that's all we've got in what has been a very jam-packed episode. It's been a bloody big week for the Eagles, and it doesn't get any easier as we move on to the GWS game. Keys, thanks very much for uh, spending some time with us this evening. No problems. Appreciate it. Miguel? Thanks again to yourself, and very good to have you both back, uh, the, the strong Waffle Watch tandem back together for another year. <laughs> Even if we're not doing it this week, we'll uh, we'll fudge it. Um, we'll fudge the numbers yeah. this week. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. And apologies, I um, I did put a call out for questions, not realising that we probably already had enough. So the people that have asked questions in the last half an hour or so, sorry, but we haven't uh, got to them. Hopefully we've... The, the serious questions anyway, I'm not sure there were too many serious ones, but... I think the serious ones we've um, we've answered in the course of the podcast. So yeah, well, that, thanks for your contributions. The nerve to call this a serious podcast as well. I think uh, we'll take what we can take at this point. Anyway, thanks very much. Uh, exactly. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and to you, both of you. Thanks for being on the listeners. Very good to uh, be with you again, and all the best for what should hopefully be a very fun round two. Let's hope the Eagles can get off the mark. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Cheers.